glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Read this text. It is it is a heavy, uh, if you would, text to read. And if we put it in light to this morning's message, and again, I believe the two messages really they equal one, um, and they don't. But for for today, for us, they do. I really wanted to see these bookends in the life of John the Baptist, uh, his mother, and his murderess. And as again, I began to say in the introduction, if you just stop right here on its face, it can look like. Uh, Elizabeth and the fruit that she brought forth was cut off by this wicked woman and that this this evil woman prevailed. Uh, If you read this story, for instance, I was thinking through this uh, this evening, I thought as we read of Elizabeth, she joins the ranks of women like Sarah, the the wife of Abraham, and the ranks of women like Ruth or Esther uh, or the virtuous woman we said described in Proverbs 31. Uh, There's a number of Godly women that the Bible emphasizes throughout Scripture that God used in a mighty way. I prayed and thought about preaching on J.L. this morning. And uh, what, a, what a lovely message for Mother's Day, a woman who takes a spike and runs it through a man's temples. I mean, that's just what you want to preach on Mother's Day. Uh, but I'll say this, she was a great woman. Uh, she did her job, and she did it well, and she fought for God. And so we see a number of ladies throughout the Bible that were wonderful women. I thought of a woman when Joab came to a city, a wise old woman. Uh, when Joab said, I'm going to take and cast the city down, and she said, wait just a minute, aren't you after so-and-so? And he said, yeah. She said, hold on. And she came back, and she brought his head and put it over the wall, and that saved the city. Uh, that was a wise woman. She said, we'll, just, we'll give you the enemy and spare the city. And that's when there was a man trying to overthrow David's kingdom after Absalom. And so my point is, God records. There's wonderful little stories all throughout Scripture, and you have a list of uh, heroines, if you would, who, who loved the Lord and served Him with all their heart. Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have Phoebe in Romans chapter 16. You have uh, Priscilla, the wife of Aquila. So you have this rank of godly women, and then you have, of course, some ranks of ungodly women, women like Delilah and Jezebel and Athaliah and Herodias. They all form a group of, of women that you would not want to cross their path. Uh, Ask John the Baptist. Ask Naboth who owned a vineyard and wouldn't give a wicked king what he wanted. And what you'll find, and folks can get upset with me if they like, but with many of these women, you find these ungodly women, you find them beside them a weak man who feared the people and couldn't tell himself no. Ahab had to have Naboth's vineyard, but he didn't have the nerve to do what Jezebel did. She said, no, no, honey, when you want something, you get it. And you're the king, and you use your power to get what you want. Let me show you how. And she had him killed. And if you just read the story to that point, it looks like Jezebel, the wicked woman, won the day. But you have to read the whole book. You have to read the whole story. When you read of two or three eunuchs throwing her through a window, and the dogs eating her up, and say, my goodness, the Bible is a violent book. i got news for you. The life of this, in this world is filled with sin. And God doesn't mask that from us. It's not a fairy tale book. It's a book of truth. So tonight we come to another such story where apparently the fruit of Elizabeth's womb, this wonderful miracle of God, wasn't such a miracle, birthed by a miracle and taken out by a woman's whims and wishes. Doesn't it look that way? May I say this? If we're going to walk with God, we have to grapple in this life with things that look the same way. 
There are moments in, in, in the time frame we're living in right now that it looks like the wicked are winning the day. It does. They seem to, they seem to be able to their craftiness and their manipulation and their, their, their lying and deceit to be able, as though they're overthrowing the righteous. And I'm so glad God preserved accounts in the Bible that look the same way. So we can look at that and say, but wait a minute. That must not be the case. But anyway, we're going to hold in on this one. There's a number of things we can see tonight. For our, our young people tonight, and especially you young ladies, I hope you paid attention this morning to the kind of woman Elizabeth is and that you'll purpose in your heart to let God lead your life and let him teach you how to be an Elizabeth and not a Herodias. Let God teach you how to be the kind of woman we looked at this evening. I, I hope we'll look at tonight. What you're going to see tonight is a woman who would be a hero in many of our films that are made today. She would be a hero for being a powerful woman, for using her skill to rise to power and get her way and deal with people that were oppressive in her life. Amen? Nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. And so what we see tonight is a portrait of what none of us should want to be. And we see the flesh unfettered and manifesting itself in the life of a woman here tonight. We're going to give you five things tonight about Herodias from the text that we read, beginning with where the Bible begins, and that is her immorality. The first thing we find out about Herodias is quite contrasted to the first thing we found out about Elizabeth. First thing we found out about Elizabeth was was her fellowship with God. The first thing you find out about Herodias is her fellowship with sin. Herodias lived a life of sin. She lived a life of immorality. I understand morals can be good or bad, but the word immorality stands for a life lived in disregard for the natural laws of God, for the moral laws of God. You realize this tonight's a good opportunity to remind us that God created marriage and therefore he created what constitutes marriage. Uh, when we start redefining terms and then calling it the same thing, we're liars. So as our culture calls two people living in the same house and sharing the same house and cohabiting as though they were married, yet they've never made a, 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 a real commitment before God and men through vows to make that an official marriage, it's not marriage. Living in the same house, no more than putting 20 people in a building and calling a church is church. There has to be a willingness on parties to unite with one another. And so uh, you, you, you must understand if you say that two men who take vows are married, that doesn't make it marriage. It's to something else. And so here you have Herodias. She had the kind of mentality that many do today. She had no regard for the institution of marriage. And we see that by how she handled it. Verse 17 of Mark chapter 6, the Bible says, and by the way, if we're going to deal with motherhood, we must deal with marriage. Uh, we must deal with marriage. The best thing that can happen for uh, uh, for motherhood is for there to be. And look, I, we can't. Our job is not to fix the world. The world is corrupt, and it's going to stay that way till Jesus comes. But we are supposed to be salt in this world, light in this world. And I say that to say this: I don't believe it's the mission of local churches to reform society. There's times I've I felt that way, and that's what I want. I do believe it's our job to reprove society. So I cannot deal with what the average lost person on the street thinks other than to make sure they hear the gospel, that they are confronted with the gospel and have an opportunity to be saved, to do all I can by the power of God to see them brought into the family of God so they can join us in shining light and being salt. What I can say, though, is Christians have no business adopting the mindset of the world when it comes to these issues. 
We, have, we are too often intimidated by the reasoning of men rather than the plain declaration of Scripture. I'm reminded this week, I told my wife, there's kind of a theme in my life this week with some, some confrontation over truth and, and error, whether it be uh, through some interaction with some people uh, uh, in technology or in personal interaction, that in numerous conversations the theme has been kind of like, you're a simpleton, it's more complicated than this. When dealing with such things as a perfect Bible or dealing with such things uh, as error in someone else's teaching, well, that's just too simple. But all I, I can just be honest, for the Lord, all I'm saying is, but that's it's what the Bible says. It's what, it's what the book says. And we trust that what... I don't believe this tonight. I don't believe you have to be an intellectual giant to walk with God. I believe we have to have faith like a little child. That's what God's Word says. And so... What I'm saying tonight when it comes to some of these issues, people want to focus on the world and on the society and say, well, my goodness, but you realize it's more complicated than, than the morals that the Bible puts forward. You people uh, in, in, this, in this purist mentality, that's noble and idealistic. We've got we to gotta be realistic about the world we live in. i got news for you. The world that John the Baptist lived in was immoral and corrupt. And you know what he preached? He told Herod and he told Herodias, what you're doing is not lawful before God. <laughs> but he said they could have said, but it's, it's different. You don't understand the aristocracy. We don't operate by the rules you commoners do. Could they not have said that? And so my point here tonight is with Herodias, when we're introduced to her, we're introduced to the fact that she is an immoral woman, as is Herod, the ruler of the land. Again, nothing new under the sun it seems to be as we elevate above people in society that there seems to be an attraction with positions of power and immorality, does it not? And so here's what we find in Mark 6, 17. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for whose sake? Herodias' sake, his whose wife? Brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Now the problem here is Philip is not dead. He's alive. Leviticus chapter 18. We will not turn time, take time to turn there and look, but if you can look at it in your own time and verify that what I'm telling you is truth, tells us in Leviticus 18, 16, that a man is not supposed to marry his brother's wife. He's not supposed to uh, interact that kind of relationship with her as long as his brother is living. That is fornication in the sight of God. So what they called marriage, God never recognized as marriage. It was a man taking his own brother's wife. It was gross immorality. It's a form of incestuous living. It's somewhat like what the man in 1 Corinthians 5 did, having his father's wife. It is gross immorality. And John the Baptist, realizing that the word of God applies to everyone equally, was unashamed to tell Herod, what you're doing is not lawful. And Herodias, she didn't, she didn't, she didn't like that. Yeah, you see, John the Baptist had failed to get the cue that you're supposed to preach messages to people that they're willing to accept. <laughs> now I say this, preaching is not designed according to the appetite of hearers. It is designed according to the mind of God. And if God says it and tells the preacher to preach it, it has nothing to do with how it's received. A lot of preachers are getting a bad rap in our day because their churches are emptying out. So well, what's that preacher doing wrong? He may be doing something wrong. He may be. He may be doing something right. It just depends. You've got to find out if he's preached. Paul told, this is all just free of charge, but Paul told in Acts chapter 20, the Ephesian elders, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel 
of God. And here's what John the Baptist had done. He declared the counsel of God to Herod and to Herodias. And it's very interesting the different effect it had on the two of them. Now, Herod imprisoned him, but the Bible says he imprisoned him for Herodias' sake. If you study Herod, he's a very weak man, just like Ahab. Isn't it amazing how weak men gain great power? It's, it happens. It's, it's just amazing. You find that Herod feared the Jews. He feared John. And obviously, he feared Herodias. He is not making his decisions based on principle. He is making his decisions based on pragmatism, if you would. Well, if I do this, it'll have this effect. And if I make this, he was, he was, a, he was a true blue politician. No doubt about it. There comes a point where he did not want to kill John, but he did anyway. Why? Well, because if he didn't, he looks bad in front of the people. He had gotten his position by the applause and the praise of men. And so here uh, you have a dominating woman telling a weak man what to do, and he's doing it because they're both immoral. Can I say something tonight, and I'm certain of this as I'm standing here. When immorality is embraced in the life, it weakens the ability to stand and do right. What immorality in the life does is it defiles the conscience and it incapacitates men of God. Men, I'm preaching to you for a minute. When we let immorality into our lives, we use our eyes to lust, we use our bodies to sin, and we let some strange woman take over our life in, in direct conflict to what God says, it, in, it incapacitates us from making the decisions we should because we're a servant to something else. And if I can say it tonight, guard against, here's Herod, he's a lost man, but he is a slave to Herodias without knowing it. And let's not blame her. That's his fault. It's her fault for being wicked, but it's his fault for being attracted to such wicked women. And so then her immorality is seen, and it's demonstrated in her disloyalty to her husband. She leaves Philip for Herod. I don't know why. I have no idea why, but she leaves Philip, and she goes and lives with Herod and marries Herod. And so then her disloyalty to her first husband, God's design for marriage is not to, well, I'm tired of this one, I'm going to go to this one. And here's the thing. We know that God forgives those who repent of that. We find the woman at the well, that's what she had done. And Jesus Christ saved her and transformed her. So I'm not preaching tonight that God can't change people. But I'm telling you, here's a woman who's not repentant. She is happily... Dis- How many people knew what this woman had done and what, what Herod had done? This is on public display. Now, I believe that's why John had to call it out. I believe tonight it is right for we who preach the word of God, when public leaders publicly sin, then they must be publicly called out. And by the way, that doesn't matter what letter is behind their name. You know some of the frustrations I have. We call out the sins of the liberals, but we don't of the conservatives. Sin is sin. It doesn't matter. Amen? And so then tonight, her immorality, we're talking about this woman, Herodias, we see in the disloyalty to her husband and the defilement that she's in in a fornicating relationship. So as we're introduced to her, we find that she is she correlates not with Proverbs 31, but with Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. In Proverbs 7, you find that young man going on his way in the twilight and the dark of the evening, and the strange woman catches him on the corner and seduces him, and you know that she had a husband. She was not a woman for hire. She was a woman that had a husband. She said, I've got a bag of money. My husband got a bag of money, went on a journey. I've been waiting for you, young man, 
She's disloyal to her husband. She is an immoral woman. She used what she had physically and so forth, her lips and her flattering mouth and her appearance and the attire of an harlot to attract that young man and destroy his life. This is something we must hear about. I know it's not comfortable, but there's strange women in our world today. You young men would be wise to say, if you don't want to end up like a Herod corrupted and ruined and destroyed or like a... Samson corrupted and ruined and destroyed or like a Solomon corrupted and ruined and destroyed, then you better be able to identify the Herodiases in your life. Women who have no compunction, it does not bother them to commit a sin before the God that created them. They have forsaken, as the Bible says, the guide of their youth. God put a conscience in a person. Amen? And they are out for power and out for self and so forth and so the point here tonight is this kind of woman Herodias is. Again, she joins the ranks of women like Bathsheba and women like Delilah and Jezebel and Athaliah who used their prowess. Instead of using the gifts God gave them as Elizabeth did to serve God, used it to serve sin and serve Satan and to be part of his destructive schemes. And so we see her immorality. Number two, we see her indignation. Mark chapter 6, verse 17, we'll read down to verse 20. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him. Now do we know what she wanted to do from day one? She would have killed him, but she could not. Meaning, the only reason she couldn't kill him because she wasn't the king. Herod was the king. The Bible says, verse 20, for Herod feared John, meaning Herod had a different attitude toward John than Herodias did. Herod said, that guy scares me. Isn't that amazing when you can make a king tremble? John the Baptist made Herod afraid. says, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and an holy and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things. Look at what Herod did. And heard him. Gladly, this guy is an interesting fellow. Here he is living in sin, but he said, let me hear John again. Talk to me again. You know what concerns me? You wonder if Herod, if God was dealing with him, I just say you wonder, he hears John the Baptist gladly. You, you you, You wonder if the one tool in Herod's life to keep him on his path to hell was a woman named Herodias. You can't help but wonder that if it hadn't been for her, if the man might have repented. I don't know. But I know this. He's hearing John gladly. She wants him dead. I'll say this. The Bible says that the path of the strange woman, that her ways are the ways of hell. It leads down the path into destruction, into the grave, into hell itself. And we see that demonstrated here tonight. So her indignation, when she is rebuked for what she's done, instead of saying, I'm an unclean woman. She wiped her mouth, says, I've done nothing. Isn't that what the adulteress does? I didn't do anything wrong. I'm just loving somebody. Just, you know, whatever. This woman is not, she is the scorner. She's not only the strange woman of Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. She's the scorner of the entire book of Proverbs. When told that she's doing wrong, from that day forward, she says, I'm out to get him. No man is going to tell me how to live my life. He's telling me I'm wicked because he's telling me that God is displeased with me. We find her rebuke at the mouth of John the Baptist. By the way, 
How much fervor do we think John the Baptist had? You know what the Bible says? You know what she's mad about? It's not about how he said what he said. It's about what he said. He said to her, what you're doing is sin in the sight of God. You know, the world out here, when they're living in sin, they don't mind you saying, I disagree with what you do. Oh, our culture right now is so, it's so sophisticated. I don't mind discourse and disagreement. But don't you ever tell me I'm wrong. Never. That's our culture. It's not every person in the culture. But what's become popular in the culture is, oh, we all disagree, but we all must agree on one thing. Nobody's wrong. You know what Herodias said? You told me I'm wrong, I'm going to shut your mouth. Wicked woman. Wicked, wicked woman. Boy, is she anything like Elizabeth? John's life begins with a wonderful woman like Elizabeth, and it's going to end with a woman like Herodias. A woman like Elizabeth is delighted to see someone who's a voice for God come into the world. A woman like Herodias won't rest until that voice has been silenced. First, she silenced the voice in her conscience. She forsakes the guide of her youth. And then she wants to silence the voice of her father, the voice of her mother, the voice of her pastor, the voice of her teachers, the voice of a Christian friend, a voice, whoever it may be, she's rebuked and her response is she had a quarrel, meaning she says, I've got, I've got problems with that man. And the Bible says she would have killed him if she could have, but we find her rebuke. John rebuked her, said what you're doing is not lawful. Her response was one of quarreling with him, an open a willing refuting of don't tell me that and her desire to kill him. And the only reason she didn't is the Bible says she could not. She was restricted. She is limited in power. She literally did not have the authority to order John's execution or she would have. But get a hold of this. It's an important point. When she was limited outwardly, she began to devise a scheme to get what she wanted anyway. One of the marks of a wicked man or woman, doesn't matter, is a person who cannot and will not accept no as an answer. I heard somebody say this weekend, I forget, it was in the secular world, but we have, it was Clarence Thomas, our chief, one of our justices uh, at the Supreme Court. So we are so programmed to get the outcomes we want that we're outraged when we cannot produce the outcomes we want. He was speaking of the Roe v. Wade situation. And he said, our culture has gotten to the point where they can, instead of re- responding, this is why there's disrespect for the court, instead of responding to the decisions they're handed, they won't rest until they get the decision they want. That is, that is the, that's what's going on right here. Instead of her saying, well, I'm powerless to deal with John, maybe I should follow uh, Herod there and listen to what he has to say. No, no, no. No, no, he told me I'm wrong. We've got to silence him. I mean, I've heard of the cancel culture, and I'm not sitting here, I'm not preaching on the culture, and I'm trying to help us see things clearly. So we're only entangled in this nonsense. The cancel culture is, if you tell me something that I think is not acceptable, we'll just silence you. This woman practiced cancel culture 2,000 years ago. You told me I'm wrong. You told me that the lifestyle I have chosen is actually inherently evil. And therefore, instead of canceling my lifestyle... I'll cancel you. That's what so many uh, endeavors today by wicked people. We have people that have devoted their lives to so-called ministries for the sole purpose of silencing, reproving, rebuking voices in their life. You know what the scary thing is? Sometimes it works. There are pastors at times who get accused of sins they've never committed and it silences their ministry forever. 
And we go, did evil prevail? It may look that way, but evil never prevailed. Amen? We'll get there in just a moment. Here's a woman, we see her immorality, we see her indignation, her rebuke and her response. She makes me think of another dear lady in the book of Genesis. We don't know her name, but we know her husband's name. His name was Potiphar. She liked Joseph and Joseph until Joseph gave her a two-letter word. No. Ooh, that started a war. You're going to take no for an answer? And so then she, instead of being his friend, became his enemy, which is what she was in the first place. And so then, by the way, one of the marks of being a faithful Christian is knowing when to say no in doing so. One of the things we must do, we're going through a series of devotions with our children right now, about righteous refusals in the Bible. People who are given opportunity by other people or pressured to do certain things and said, no, I won't do it. I think of the three Hebrew children. I think of Daniel refusing to stop praying. I think of Joseph refusing to cooperate with Potiphar's wife. I think of Abraham refusing to take money from the king of Sodom. And the list goes on and on and on and on. I think of our Lord Jesus refusing alcohol on the cross to stymie his pain. You cannot say yes to God without having to say no to some people in your life. Here tonight, John the Baptist was not afraid, praise God for it, to say, no, what you're doing is wrong. But Herodias said it won't have it. She was a scorner and had indignation toward the Word of God. And therefore, she thought, I can stop the message of John if I stop the man. But that would be mistaken. So that brings us to our third point, her ingenuity. In verses 21 through 28 of Mark 6, the Bible says, And when a convenient day was come. Convenient for what? Uh, convenient for Herodias. Remember the context is she wants to kill him, but she can't. When a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. Here's what happens. Herodias says, here's my opportunity. Isn't that what convenience is? Ah, this is my opportunity. Herod will be in a party mood today. He'll be in a generous mood. He'll be in a happy-go-lucky mood. This is my day. If I play this right, I'll have John's head before the day is done. Can you imagine living a life that is lived for that purpose? Do you realize she's not focused on Herod's birthday? She's not focused on her little girl. She's focused on one thing. That man told me I'm bad. He has to die. There are people, that's, that's their mentality. And here she is that way. It's, a, it's satanic, is it not? This comes from the devil himself. So the Bible says, When the convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lord's high captains and chief estates of Galilee. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced. I wonder where she got this immoral behavior from. I, I couldn't imagine. And pleased Herod, and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he sware unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it unto thee, give it thee, unto the half of my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. She came in straightway with haste unto the king, and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. And when the king was exceeding sorry, yet for his oath's sake and for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought and went and beheaded him in the prison. Here's a man that lived to please himself. The Bible says, by the way, in verse 28, and brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel, and the damsel gave it to her mother. What a 
terrible, tragic story. Here's a man, Herod, who, why did he say to the damsel, ask whatever you will and I'll give it to you? I'll pay, I'll pay the price. You make me so happy. Was it because he loved her? Well, it pleased him. Young men, listen to me tonight. You live a life to please yourself and you have stuck your head on a chopping block because you'll pay the price to get what you want. You'll pay the price to get what you want. And some wicked woman like Herodias will use you as her pawn to silence the voice of God. Friend, this is told over and over so that we can have a clear picture of how our folk, we're not ignorant of his devices, are we? Satan loves to use this kind of mechanism to say, you know what? The preacher needs his mouth shut. And boy, Herodias figured out how to be ingenious in doing it, didn't she? I will use Herod. I know that man. She already knew if it pleased him, he would give whatever was asked. Right? She'd learned that by experience for sure. She's willing to use her daughters upon. So we find her ingenuity. The convenience tells us that's what she was looking for. She was just waiting to spring the trap. And then her cunning. How devious is this? So when I looked at the word damsel, it means a little girl. A little girl. We had some, and I won't go into a lot of detail, but some years ago, these, these pageants of these little girls. What a wicked thing. What a vile, wicked thing that parents would use their children like that for a buck, for a dollar. But here's a woman that is more than happy to use her daughter to get what ultimately she wants. She doesn't want to hear that preacher one more time. And so she is willing to influence her daughter, involve her own child in her sin. And so then uh, the convenient day came, and then we, she puts her cunning trap into motion. She is, she is like a spider setting a trap for its prey. And so then John the Baptist has already been imprisoned for her sake. So she's already got him pinned up. Now she's going to finish the deal. And so then she puts together, instead of using her ingenuity to build up, she uses it to destroy. A wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. And so here then we come to our fourth point. That is her influence. Herodias swung a lot of influence, did she not? She didn't do it by position of power. She did it by her cunning devices. Herodias wielded a lot of power. Number one, she influenced the next generation. Just like Elizabeth, Herodias was a teacher, was she not? Just like Elizabeth, not the same kind of teaching. Elizabeth encouraged Mary, blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. We find very clearly in the context of Scripture an immoral woman teaching her daughter to reproduce her immorality. I say this today. We have a a serious problem of immodesty and immorality in the young ladies of our country. Young lady, if you're a Christian, immodesty, by the way, immodesty of apparel leads to immorality of conduct. One of the reasons we preachers preach against immodesty, here's what we get accused of. You got some kind of a predisposition with that thing. No, we don't. The Bible says that godly women are to adorn themselves in modest apparel. Why? Because immodesty encourages immorality. I'll remind you tonight, there is such a thing that the Bible calls the attire of an harlot, meaning there is a way to dress that signifies you're immoral. The sad thing today is, is four out of five young ladies are dressing that way. And you know why? Here's where I'm going with this. Mamas have taught them how. 
Sometimes literally instructing them. If you want to snag that young man, do this. He said, a woman wouldn't do that. Oh, I'll guarantee they do. And if they don't teach by verbiage, they teach by, by example. And so here, just the opposite. Here you have Elizabeth encouraging godliness in the next generation and her cousin Mary encouraging faith in God, encouraging letting the Lord use her, submitting her body to the Lord to be used for His honor and glory in a holy fashion. And here you have Herodias, not because she loved her daughter, but because she had an agenda. Uh, She was not going to be told no. And so she uses her own little girl as a trap to get back at John the Baptist. Why? If you're a Christian, you couldn't sit down and imagine something that evil. Really. I mean, honestly, God saves you. How could you come up with something like that? And so then uh, we find her influence. She influenced the next generation. But if you look at Matthew chapter 11, I've kind of alluded to this throughout, but Matthew chapter 11, we find the influence she had on John the Baptist, the servant of the Lord. Matthew chapter 11 Bible says in verse 1, It came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison, so this is between his imprisonment and his beheading. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. This woman's actions had had a chilling effect on the faith of John the Baptist. You see how she's exactly opposite of Elizabeth? Elizabeth, the virtuous and godly woman, had instilled faith. She had encouraged the faith of her husband, undoubtedly. We know for sure from the pages of Scripture that she had encouraged the faith of Mary. Her life of virtue had encouraged others to know God's Word can be trusted. But you know what? We are in the day right now where there are men who have preached like thunder from pulpits and are wondering, what has happened? Where is God? You know what behind it is some, not always an evil woman, but some evil person. Seemingly prevailing. John is in prison. A man who had been asked, are you the Messiah? I don't think anybody was asking him now, are you the Messiah? He's sitting in prison at the whims and wishes of a wicked woman. And John himself, who had seen the Lord Jesus and had said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, and is saying, are you he or do we look for another? What happened to John? I'll tell you what, this wicked woman and her devices had had a chilling effect on the faith of this godly man. It made it look like sin was winning. It made his ministry look like a waste of time. And you know what? He did the right thing. There's another message for another day. He sent his disciples to the Lord Jesus and said, Are you he or do we look for another? And the Lord said, You just remind him of what he already knows. The deaf have their ears open, the blind see, the lame are healed, the poor have the gospel preached. You remind him, I am exactly who he knows I am. But all I'm saying to you is this. The life of a person will either, the life of godliness encourages faith, the life of evil encourages offense or turning aside. And here tonight we find a woman that was very influential. She is defiling the next generation. She is discouraging the hearts of God's people. So then we say, is that the end of the message? 
There's no way we could stop here tonight. Our final point is this, and that is her ineffectiveness. What she did did not win. Do you remember how we started Mark chapter 6? Mark chapter 6 starts in the present but takes you back into the history. It says this, that when John the Baptist, I mean when Herod heard of Jesus, who did he think he was? He thought John the Baptist had raised from the dead. Here's a man, I don't even know if he believed in the resurrection before, but man, he did now. All of a sudden, he says, that man's come back to haunt me. He, like Abel, being dead, was yet speaking. The voice of one crying in the wilderness was still crying in Herod's ears. Was it not? May I say this tonight? This old wicked world could annihilate every Christian on earth, but they cannot snuff God out. Amen? And here's what I just want us to see as we conclude Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And what this should do for the child of God is say, hey, take heart. If it looks like the Herodiuses are overcoming and winning against the Elizabeths in this world, it's not so. You can decapitate the preacher, but you can't decapitate the Word of God. Mark chapter 6, verse 14, And King Herod heard of him, speaking of Jesus, for his name was spread abroad, and he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said that it is Elias, and others said that it is a prophet, or as one of the prophets, meaning, as we already said, because John's master, the Lord Jesus, was living, though John was dead, his message lived on. In the conscience of Herod, and I don't know what happened to Herodias here. I know, and because the scripture gives us another indication, we know where she's at today. What I would say is this, John's master, because of John's master, the Lord Jesus Christ, John's message continued. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. Paul says, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. You can bind the preachers, you can silence pulpits, but you cannot, you cannot silence God. And so let us not tonight fall into the trap that John the Baptist fell into momentarily, saying, the Herodias in my life is more effective than the Elizabeth in my life. And this is not about women so much at this point, but what they represent. Tonight's message is much more representative of what we see going on in the world around us. Because here's the fact, God will always prevail. You know why? There came a day when the world said, the Pharisees and the leadership of the Jews said, we've heard enough from that man Jesus. He's got to be silenced. Truth? And the Jewish world and the Gentile world consorted together and they silenced him for three days. For three days only. And they've never been able to silence him since. And so tonight, take heart. The gospel has power. We may have persecution come on us. One preacher may go down and another preacher come up, but the word of God stands. God's word, God's word is not dependent on the people who serve him. God's word is dependent upon him. Praise God for an Elizabeth who encouraged people to serve the Lord and trust the Lord. Oh, woe to the Herodiuses, because here's what in the end, you know what happened? Herodias momentarily, momentarily gave herself reprieve from the voice of John the Baptist. But John is dead and buried and John, Herod saw his head on a platter 
And yet he said, John the Baptist is still preaching to me. Through who? The living Son of God. Amen. The night God is still on the throne. So what do we do? Are there those who would silence us tonight? Oh, you bet. Preach until they lob our heads off and know that he'll keep preaching once we're gone. We being dead like Abel will. Cain sought to silence Abel. Did it work? Didn't work.